the Indianapolis was entrusted with the component, which was that in, in, that held the enriched uranium. Uh, and at the time, it, it's still rare now, but at the time, there wasn't much enriched uranium in the world. So it was a rare and precious material at the time. In fact, when they were carrying that, uh, those two uh, warheads, or the, the, the uranium across the ocean, that was one half of the entire world supply of enriched uranium. Oh. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. On one ship. So rare. Yeah. Did you know that you can buy that stuff? Enriched uranium? This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Hold on, stop. Welcome back to the Shit Show 2.0. Okay, Boomer. Damn millennials. Wow. <laughs> Did not know that. Even flirters who, who are obviously mentally ill. You want to be my wife? Oh, this is going to go downhill real quick. <laughs> What is going on? And welcome to Take on the World with Johnny and Mike D. Welcome back, man. Yeah, welcome back, man. Been, been a little bit. Been it's a little been bit. A so it's been like a Saturn minute. Yeah. Well, we took the month of December off. Yeah. Pretty much for the holidays. <clears throat> Just too much shit going on. Yeah, way too much. And then I was sick right after Christmas until now. And then you gave it to me. Okay, if that's what you want to say. Yeah, well, we say sick. It's more like a... It's a cold. It's a cold. Yeah. But uh, it's been lasting, you said, four weeks? Three and a half now, yeah. I'm probably on my second and a half week, third week. Yeah, so excuse the coughing, excuse the sniffling, and excuse the nose blowing when I go to do it. (laughs) But we all know you love us, and you won't look the other way. That's right. That's right. So today we're here to explore the story of the most remarkable Navy vessel that uh, has left an indelible mark on history. Uh, Was that word I couldn't say? Indelible. (laughs) Uh, Today we're setting sail with the USS Indianapolis, a vessel with a fascinating journey from construction to wartime service. I almost read... Are you going to do background music? But then I thought, I'm like, oh, wait, shit. He's going to edit this later. I'm not going to put background music in. No? No. Ah, you should, dude. So, uh, why not? For those of you out there, because I I have to, I got to list, I got to list the, all the music. I only have rights to the music, our entrance music. So you would have, what take, what is, how much does it take to list like one song? Well, it all depends what the song is. Like, uh, the music that I used is from uh, a website that does just music for uh, background and stuff. I got you. And I think I pay like five bucks for the rights to use. So it's not worth it. You know, the pain in the ass, not worth it. Not unless we use the same background music every time. I could find something that's in the public domain and use that. Because like, you know, uh, Steamboat Willie mm. is in the public domain now. Just like... <coughs> Winnie the Pooh came in public domain last year. 
So they made that Pooh, Blood and Honey horror movie, which <laughs> right, 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 was, was bad. <laughs> but they are making. There's two Steamboat Willie horror movies coming out. One done by Rob Zombie. Wow, really? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Even if it's bad, I want to see it. Um, we got to have our, uh, Sebastian back on because after that, we had that episode. I swear to God, there was like 10 more things that aired. And I was like, oh, my God. It was I'm all like, AI. Yeah. And I'm like, right after that, um, what's her face came out and she's suing. I sent you the, the yeah, link. Did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. She was suing the whoever for using her her face yeah and whatever her being for ai and i was like that's what we were just talking about well one of the scams on like instagram and facebook and uh when you play the stupid games they put the ads in the middle one of the scams they have out there is they have like gordon ramsay giving away his pot and pants, yeah, his ironclad, whatever. And there's like, it's completely free if, if, if you qualify and then you put your mute, your information and then they have it. Uh, <laughs> they had, um, Guy Fieri doing, um, uh, smokers. Same thing. Like, man, it, you just never know. It dude. ain't him. That's crazy. <laughs> but it, it, you couldn't tell it's not him. You get all hyped up and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna give me a free smoker. Yeah. And the next thing your credit card is fucking maxed out. So while we're talking about AI, uh, what I have done is I've done all my normal research, which is obsessive and lengthy, uh, and I put it into ChatGPT, and I said, write me a script for a podcast, take on the world, with the following information. So that's what we have before us today. Okay. So this one I did slightly different. Because I took so as we're shitting on AI, yeah, we're using AI to yeah. <laughs> help us. Well, I just want to—I want to see how it comes out. I want to see if it's if it's worthwhile. I bet that it's probably better than most. Of, excuse me, most of the stuff that we can do. Well, it's better than most of the stuff that's out there. We can do anything. Perfect. That's just, that's just how it is. <laughs> um, so what I did was I took. Parts of my research, like the beginning part is the background of the ship. The next part is um, things that led up to World War II. And the next part is uh, <coughs> the missions that went on in World War II. And the next part is some very interesting stuff that some people know, some people don't. Uh, but I was in the Navy and I was always fascinated with this ship. So that's why I wanted, I wanted to do it. Uh, John usually comes up with the topics. Every once in a while, I come along with one. Uh, and this one just struck my fancy because they're moving my ship from Camden to the Philadelphia boatyard to dry dock. Uh, the same plate, the same stall it was built in, the USS New Jersey, is being moved to dry dock for uh, 20-year repairs on the hull and whatnot. Um, and then I started thinking about the good old days in the Navy and I remembered this story. So I did some research and I, I even, I think I found, I knew most of it, but there was some stuff I didn't know. Like we'll get there. So <clears throat> the USS Indianapolis was constructed in Camden, New Jersey, 
at the time, the price tag was $10,903,200. Uh, it was built positioned between the First and Second World Wars. So it was uh, a peacetime vessel being built that ended up being one of the most important ships of World War II. Uh, it was launched in 1931 and commissioned by the U.S. Navy the following year. Uh, the Indianapolis was a formidable Portland-class heavy cruiser, stretching an impressive 610 feet 3 inches in length and boasting a beam of 66 feet 1 inch. Had displacement of nearly 10,000 tons. So, yeah, wait, did you say what type of, what type class ship this was yet? Heavy cruiser. So is that, uh, maybe I'm jumping in here to mine. Go ahead, jump on in. Which has been a while. Could it land seaplanes on there? Uh, you, you just, Johnny, jumped ahead. Dang, which, yes! Which <laughs> I'm glad because. All right, cool. My friend, read the next paragraph. Right, wait, wait. Uh, I don't forget where you left. I didn't see where you left off. I'm right here. Hold on. Before you read that, let me let me just. So the 610 feet, three inches. If you took Big Ben and laid it on its side, it would take two Big Bens to be as big as this. Fuck is Big ship. Ben. What? The clock? What the fuck did you just say to me? Big Ben the clock? Yes. From from. Uh, London. Back to the future. From London. <laughs> Jesus nobody knows what the fuck big ben everybody is. knows big ben oh yeah yeah from like uh, like me down below and from my timeline okay the most famous the, it, the most famous clock in the world like how many iphones added up together to make, <laughs> to make big ben <laughs> yeah like nine thousand three hundred sixty four to make big ben like man that's huge <laughs> so it also weighs as much as the Eiffel Tower. You know what that is? I know what the Eiffel Tower is. Okay, I'm just, just checking, bro. Yeah. So now read the next paragraph right where my cursor is there. Armed to the teeth, the Indianapolis carried a main battery of nine of nine eight-inch guns and eight five-inch anti-aircraft guns. It even housed three float planes and featured two amidship catapults for launching those planes. Though one of those catapults was later removed in 1945. Yes, dude, that's crazy. So yes. that's even before World War II. So they're launching in. So now, you, this is a float plane. Yeah, these these float planes are not like what you think. You thinking this is this is 1931 when it was put on there. They're probably like what a reconnaissance plane that can yeah. ha hold like a bomb that you throw over the side, and then you can land in the well, water. Probably, could, they could probably attach, but or yeah, it yeah. was. It, I think Pretty light. The, the older ones were biplanes. And but the that's wing, still pretty impressive. The wings would fold up. They'd have like this uh, garage that they would back it into. And then they'd pull this catapult out. And then it could be stored away so you don't see it. I wonder what that catapult was made of. Or how it was powered. Steam power pow probably steam powered, just like the ones on yeah. the aircraft carriers. I just remember um, <clears throat> when we they went to that electromagnetic. And it didn't really work that well. And Trump was like... It sucks. Get what you want. Okay. I know the steam power was better. My day is beautiful. Steam is beautiful. They say, and it's not me, it's them. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, my, so, my thing is it's since the inception where it's worked, it's always been steam powered. Yes. So 
This was a steam-powered ship. So, oh, really? Yes. God damn. Steam-powered turbines. How much fuel would they have to burn to keep that thing? Did it go out very far? Johnny, jump ahead once again. You ask the questions. <laughs> so uh, nine eight-inch guns. Sorry, man. I which, don't mean to do it. I just do it. Which is a beautiful thing for the time. Uh, now, the uh, Iowa-class guns had 16-inch guns, 14 and 16-inch guns. So twice the size, but still. Uh, and eight five-inch anti-aircraft guns, which you got to have one there. It had no... I don't think this one had any torpedoes on it, but I'm not sure. So... Propel- I don't know why it would why it would. There was really nothing until maybe the German U-boat that would be a threat to it. Right. Well, there were submarines, but they were not advanced <coughs> in the way that they were during the war and, and beyond. So it was propelled by eight boilers turning four steam turbine turbines. Uh the Indianapolis could reach turbines? Turbines. You never heard of a turbine? It's a Navy term, dude. You would understand. <laughs> uh, the Indianapolis could reach speeds of 32 knots, which is about 37 miles per hour. Uh, a knot is a nautical mile per hour, uh, which is respectable. 32 knots is I always got confused of, of what a knot is. Like, I know, like, they would throw a rope over and every so often and have a knot tied in it, and they would time it. So, as leaving the sailor's hand, the knot would hit his hand. Is that true? Yeah. Because I didn't know that. Yeah. Really? Hold on. Pause it. We got to go to break. No, but yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that was there was a. Thank you. A tissue for you. I did not know that. Yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, but then when I thought about, it, I'm like, well, how much is a thirty-four knots, and I. It was almost pretty similar to, you know, miles per hour, but there is that distinction. It's almost like Celsius and Fahrenheit, where you have that at one point of Fahrenheit is the same as Celsius or pretty close. Then you also have like one number that's like completely drastic than the other. Hmm. So, yeah, that's how they would measure. They would throw a rope over with knots and every, every, whatever the measurement was. This is why I love doing this, Uchi dude. Yeah, you always pull out a gem that I didn't know. I'm I'm it's you shocked it, you did not know. It's that. usually in the form of a question to me to stump me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're not done yet. Uh, during its early years, the Indianapolis sailed the vast expanses of the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. Notably, the st- ship played a role in carrying the U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt on three cruises, including a good neighbor cruise visit to South America in 1936. So it did training. It hopped around. This is all pre-war. <clears throat> this ship is capable of circumnavigating the globe without uh, halfway around the globe without the need to refuel. Whoa, what did it use for fuel? It had to be coal. Um, it might be coal. It might be. It's probably coal back then. I would imagine because you don't have to chop it; it's already there. 
just had to shovel it in. It, it's either coal or oil. I'm not sure which. Man, that's crazy. Did it say up here, the steam, the turbines? I think I cut you off, so it might have said. 8 boilers. It just says boilers. Doesn't say what it was powered by. That's a good question. Good question, John. There you go. You got it in. I doubt it would be oil. You, I mean, it's most likely coal. If but you it's look 1936. at all those old um, like Chinese navy floats, it's all coal. They they smoke like a bastard. But this one did too. You can see them from a mile away. So there's an interesting note about the history of this ship. Uh, the infamous attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, this ship was stationed at Pearl Harbor. Fortunately, it was not in the harbor during the Japanese attack. Instead, it was uh, engaged in training exercises. It was bombing an uninhabited island uh, around the way. I don't know exactly where. It wasn't far from Pearl Harbor. but So it actually wasn't there, so it, it didn't get damaged at Pearl Harbor. We were just off bombing somebody. Yeah, yeah. who are we gonna bomb today? Okay, just bomb this island over here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so during World War II, uh, these are some of the campaigns it, it was involved in. It was involved in the Aleutian Island campaign of 1943. Uh, the ship played a role in the Central Pacific, including engagements in, in Gilbert and Marshall Islands, uh, Western New Guinea operations uh the ship was present during the battle of philippine sea the capture of saipan tinian and guam saipan? i don't know if anybody knew this we we were there we were in saipan together yes we almost touched tinian it was a mile away though <laughs> uh really wish we would have went there i i, I do too i i I, th I think we should have made the time and spent the money even though it it would end up being a pretty expensive day but hey there might be time in the future. Maybe doesn't look hopeful, mm. but you never know. Yeah. So it was at the Battle of Leyte Gulf, which is one of the largest naval battles in history. Uh, and that was the liberation of the Philippines. It was at the Battle of Iwo, Iwo Jima. Iwo Jima? Iwo Jima? Iwo. Iwo Jima. It took part in the bombardment of the Japanese island in 1945 and the Okinawa campaign. These campaigns highlight the diverse and crucial role of the USS Indianapolis played in the Pacific theater during World War II. So, uh, well, just pause there for a second because uh, we're going to jump into something I didn't know when I did the research. Like, I didn't understand how it got from where it was to where. I want to talk about the Deluxe Edition Network real quick. We are a proud part of Deluxe Edition Network. Absolutely. You want to go to deluxeeditionnetwork.com, check out all the great podcasts on the network. And there are some really good ones, including the podcast of the month for this month. There's three of them now because we've got so many uh, podcasts on the network. We're growing, baby. We're growing. So Bev's Video Kingdom, one of my favorites. Barrel Age Flick, another one of my favorites. And Kindness Matters Podcast. Uh, so specifically look for podcast of the month on the, uh, the website, uh, check them out. Maybe you like them, maybe you don't. And then you come back and listen to us and you could be entertained. 
So that's uh, Deluxe Edition Network. DeluxeEditionNetwork.com. So we're going to get back to uh, the USS Indianapolis here. Um, this is like the second portion of its being. Uh, so I mentioned that they were in the uh, Okinawa campaign. So on March 31st, 1945, during the battle, the intense battle of Okinawa, was faced with a sudden and deadly threat. A kamikaze pilot, without warning, uh, was hurling at the fucking ship. And they said that the crew only had like 15 seconds to react. But this is one of the best well-trained crews in the Navy. And they shot that fucker down. Nice. They, they clipped the plane. It crashed in the ocean. However, <laughs> as it was going over the ship, it was about seven meters above the ship, it dropped its payload. And it dropped a bomb. And it went through the deck. It went through the gas tanks. It went through the galley. And it went through the bottom of the ship and exploded underwater. Wow, really? Yeah. Dude, it's, it's amazing how you think that a bomb built to blow up would crash through that many floors of a steel-hulled ship. Well, they're, they're time fuses. They get, when they drop them, so, so they're but not... still, like, to not be damaged oh, yeah. enough... Oh, yeah, yeah, I get to, it. like, interfere with it and just blow <clears throat> up. And for it to be just seven meters off the deck... And so what would that seven meters, like, three foot per meter? So that's 20 feet off the deck? Yeah. <laughs> like, you can jump up and touch that. Well, not really, but you know what I mean. Where did you get the twenty foot vertical uh, leap? <laughs> I think I have like a, a three inch vertical leap. <laughs> so, uh, if it had like blown up a second before, just a second before, the ship would be toast right then. We wouldn't even be it, talking about like, it in the ship. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, after the kamikaze attack, the USS Indianapolis was sailed very slowly. It limped uh, to the U.S. Naval Shipyard. At Mare Island, it's uh, in California. Did they say how many perished or were killed? I don't think there was any injuries. Are you fucking kidding me? Wow. Uh, that's Or there were some more, minor injuries. There was no deaths. That's way more impressive. Uh, so it went to Mare Island uh, off of California for repairs. They repaired that ship in two weeks. Two weeks. Mm. Uh, the ship was back in action. Uh, little did they know these repairs would position them for an extraordinary mission. And here's some transition mission music. Dun, dun, dun. Do you think it was Rosie the Riveters that repaired that ship? Uh, I don't know. Well, most of the men were out of war. It could be. So it's probably uh, just saying, I don't care what you are. If you're, if you're able to fix a, uh, a ship, good on you, boy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... The, the fact is, is or girl, <laughs> whatever. We don't judge. <laughs> the the fact that they were there in California at the time put them in the right location. It was the right spot, right time uh, for them to be assigned a top secret mission. The ship was cho chosen to transport critical components of the atomic bomb, codenamed Fat Man and Little Boy, to the island of Tinian in the Marianas Islands. We were close there, were we? We almost At touched it. At one point in time, salt from another island. I'm pretty sure when we walked out to the tank when I peed in the water, that pee went ashore in Tinian. 
<laughs> there, I did my deal, my due diligence. Um, so the mission was so classified, even the ship's commanding officer was unaware what the cargo's nature was. Uh, and the reason they sent part of it by ship was because it was, uh, they, the, the, it had never been tested. The triggering de device had never been tested. So they want to put it on a plane and start flying it over the ocean, have it jostle and explode in the air. Mm. So they disassembled yeah, it. That would be a problem. Some of the stuff went by boat. Some of the stuff went by plane. Uh, so they were afraid of premature detonation. You know what they mean. Yeah, do it all the time. Uh, well, to, to kind of back this up, <coughs> Mark this point because you might want to edit it out, but uh, it was so secretive from all the stuff that I watched. Like, they had like college kids working on, like, so, so com compartmentalized. You come up with the, the trigger design for this, and they did, and then they didn't know what it was for. So, like, you, you, we want this thing to fire at the end and whatever, and they did, and that was the result what ended in this was that part of the manhattan project yes and they didn't that would know. be a good topic for us a manhattan yeah. project they didn't know now that was infiltrated by spies as well from the russians this is all stuff i didn't know dude um but you know they tried to conceal it as best you know what went in never came out you lived at that base you stayed at that base till we were done and then they had you know spies infiltrate it Everyone was vetted to the best they could be, but yeah, they had. Um, I, it was like some very young crew of kids coming up with the 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 design that would fire this mechanism that would detonate the bomb, which that, was very complex. That's crazy, but they were so smart and they did it and they used it. They, but they didn't know what they were doing. They did a thesis on it. <laughs> right? Yeah. So. Uh, the Indianapolis was entrusted with the component, which was that in, in, that held the enriched uranium. Uh, and at the time, it, it's still rare now, but at the time, there wasn't much enriched uranium in the world, so it was a rare and precious material at the time. In fact, when they were carrying that, uh, those two uh, warheads, or the, the the uranium, across the ocean. That was one half of the entire world supply of enriched uranium. Oh, isn't that crazy? Yeah. On that one ship. So rare. Yeah. Did you know that you can buy that stuff? Enriched uranium? No, you can buy the parts of the bomb. Oh, no, I didn't After know it's been exploded. No. Yeah. I bought it as a Christmas gift for, for somebody. Is it radioactive? Ago. Yes. It's You wouldn't want to carry it in your pocket every day. Why not? It comes well. Hey John, look uh, what I got. I got this in three eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a cool talking point, dude. Like it's legitimate radioactive, so slightly. I think I actually have a piece. And have I ever showed you the third testicle on my chest? <laughs> <laughs> but no, you can you can legit you don't need any license or anything. You go on this website, um, it it comes in a wooden box and it's like a little chunk. Is it lead lined? No, and it's not that radioactive. It's it's not more than anything you would get from like a chest X-ray. 
And yeah, but it's continuous. The chest X-ray stops. Right, but you don't you don't carry it next to your chest every day. What if I have it on a shelf next to my bed? One half. Well, my, that's a bad idea. One half of my head grows this <laughs> humongous tumor, <laughs> and the other half is pretty like it you is now. You might want to keep it like <laughs> not near you. Um, but that's crazy. I like. I didn't it, know that. It, it's. I forget what it's called. Uh, but it's called when, a. It's called a death bit. <laughs> so when they built the, the, can the, the frame for the bomb, because they didn't just like lay it on the ground and detonate it, they built it on this frame. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think they exploded in the air or dropped it and then exploded it. Um, but you can get different pieces. Like the red pieces are from the trigger mechanism of the bomb. You can get green pieces, and that was from when it hit the, the sand in the New Mexico desert. Is it expensive? No, it's really cheap. Oh, I, I gotta get a piece of the bomb. It's fucking awesome. Dude, I gotta get a piece. Yes, I did. And it's gonna go right here, right here on the shelf. Um I forget what it's called. Uh, you can also get this. Uh, oh my god, this other shit the guy made. It was like air glass or something. So it's it looks like a piece of cloudy block, Maybe like that. And you you can like set a fire underneath of it and put something like very meltable on top, and it will melt. It looks like it looks like glass. You can't hardly see it. That's from Roswell, dude. That's from the UFO. It could be. <laughs> I'm gonna send you the link. Yeah, I, I dude, I, I legitimately want to buy a piece. I forget what the hell the um, but whatever the the bomb exploded over the New Mexico desert. That, that created was a, that was a Trinity test. Tons of of yes, tons tons of like whatever the 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 leftover shit is, and it has a name. You can buy pieces of that. And it's funny that Johnny Jump Ahead would talk about the Trinity test. Oh, for sure. Because right? look. The, there we are. The USS Indianapolis <coughs> departed on its trip to take the components to uh, Tinian just three hours after the Trinity test, which was the first successful detonation of an atomic bomb. Uh, Indianapolis sailed from Hunter's Point in California to Tinian. Uh, they covered 6,000 miles in 10 days. So, uh, on, everybody knows this. On August 6th, Little Boy was loaded on the Enola Gay and was dropped on Hiroshima. 27 days later, on September 2nd, 1945, the war is officially over. Uh, the US, USS Indianapolis played a crucial role in the events that led to the conclusion of World War II, carrying within its hull the power to reshape history. However, that's not, that's not the end of the story for this ship. So 27 days left in the war, and there's a lot more history of this ship. And this is the history that most people do know or have heard of but didn't know it was a ship. Yeah, I had no clue this ship had. I knew nothing other than what I told you, the thing. Really? was sunk and then you know that and you're like well that's not the whole story no that, see i, I had no idea it was had any connection with the bomb world war one or towards the end of that i knew that it had taken the the components of the bomb the tinian what i didn't know was the part about the kamikaze and how it ended up in california and i had always questioned that because 
if they were taking the parts from there to from from California to Tinian, what was the ship doing there when it was fighting in the Pacific Theater during the whole war? Uh, so that explained it. It had to go for repairs, and it was just lucky enough to be the right ship of the right size of the right speed that could make the journey. Perfect. So the Indianapolis, after delivering the components that brought World War II to a close, uh, continued its journey. It deployed from it deployed to Guam, and then it was on its way to the Leyte Gulf uh, in the Philippines. Uh, fate took a dark turn on July 30th, 1945. Uh, and this is, now people might not know this was the Indianapolis. They've heard the story, because anybody who's seen Jaws has heard, uh, was this Quint, his his tale of uh, this, He's 20 feet. this story. 1,100 men went into the water. Vessel went down in 12 minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger, 13-footer, you know? You know that when you're in the water, Chief? You tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. And um, if you watch... I had to count them. If you watch uh, <coughs> Master of Disguise which is a very dumb, stupid movie, but my kids loved it, and I loved it too because it was funny. It was mindless, but uh, check that out. But there's a reference to this in that movie as well. Dark-haired guy run by, Chief. Dark-haired guy go in the water. Shark in the water. 29 kids go in the water. 22 kids come out of the water. The ice cream man, he take the rest. Yes, on its, you're right. On its way to the Leyte Gulf, the ship was targeted by Japanese submarine I-58. Uh, it was dark, so the, the submarine had cover. Uh, the submarine shot six torpedoes, two of which struck home with devastating effect. In just 12 minutes, the USS Indianapolis sank approximately 300 of the 1,195 men aboard went down with the ship. It went down so fast, they had no time to do anything. Uh, they did, even though the, the uh, radio equipment was damaged, try to send out a distress signal. While the rest found themselves in the vast Pacific, clinging to uh, some rafts and basic life jackets. Uh, Towards the end, when this was all over, they would take the the dead sailors who were floating around, lash them together, and use the dead sailors as a raft. As a raft. Oh, yeah, I, I can't imagine. Uh, so the the reason why this became what it was, there was a critical oversight uh, that played a tragic role in this aftermath. Uh, there was an earl. An earlier order earlier in, in, in that year uh, that exempted uh, non-arriving ships from mandatory central reporting. So the report would be made at the port where the ship didn't show up. Uh, but uh, it didn't have to be centrally reported. Uh, so when it went missing... Uh, Indianapolis was not reported. No alarms were raised. Um, 
despite the, the radio damage, the radio equipment being damaged, distress signal was attempted. Shockingly, in 1999, classified documents revealed that at least three radio officers picked up these signals. Um, all three attempts, all three uh, radio operators sent the information up the chain of command. But here's what happened. They were neglected for various reasons. One of the commanding officers was drunk. One of the commanding officers didn't want to be bothered. He, they, said, they said he basically had a do not disturb sign on his door. And the other commanding officer believed that it was a Japanese ruse that was trying to lure other ships into the area. This left nearly 900 men to fend for themselves, 600 miles from the nearest major landmass. It, 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 it's just, they were in a huge, bad situation. So by the, ton of, by the, ton, by the time the sun came up, uh, oceanic white tip sharks and tiger sharks began to circle. Uh, <coughs> if you listen to survivor stories, the sharks would come up and bump you and swim by you and brush against you. So you were in constant fear of being taken by these sharks. What would you do if you were in that situation? I'm not afraid of sharks. Really? I would have gave one a hug. <laughs> uh, I, I'd be scared shitless, like anybody else, dude. You, you, your ship just sank. Nobody knows where you are because they assume that nobody got their radio transmission because they thought their radio was broke. Like I was, when I was younger, I had no fear of the ocean. Today, I don't want nothing to do with the ocean. I love the ocean. I love scuba diving. I, 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 I like it too, man. But I love being under the ocean. There's so much shit that... that eh. I can't wait to dive with big sharks. I've dove with little sharks. I want to dive with big sharks. Uh, if I do a... But would you be okay? A great white shark dive? In the middle of the ocean, floating there? No, I wouldn't. Knowing like, okay, my... My end result here is I'm going to be eaten by a shark. See, could, you, could you sell yourself that? No. When I scuba dive, if I brush up against something, it doesn't bother me. Because I can turn and look. When you are floating on top and something brushes up against you, you can't necessarily look down and see what the fuck right. it was. No, it scares the shit about it. It's not like you're touching the floor. You're touching the crab. Right. It's something that's swimming. Like, I was... The one time I was floating... Uh, actually, I got yelled at by the lifeguard. I forget what... what I think it was Virginia Beach. We were down there. And Lexi would come out and float with me. And I would just roll up on my back and she was she was like kind of laying on my chest and we were just floating in the waves and we were so far from shore i didn't even realize it and the lifeguards are whistling and whistling and they're about to grab their freaking thing to come out and get us and i looked up and i'm like oh shit and i just swam back but i'm just floating in the water me and lexi were having a great time and deb was mad at me because we were out so far mm. and she goes I don't, I don't mind if you take her out just don't take her out that far um but when we were doing it, when I was swimming back, I guess a piece of kelp or seaweed brushed against my leg. It scared the fucking shit out of me because <laughs> you didn't, you couldn't see it. Sure, yeah, that would freak me the fuck out because you don't know what the you've never had that feeling in your life. And I'm always afraid I'm going to step on something. Yeah, that's the one thing I don't like when I go out in the ocean now, stepping on things. I'm like, what the fuck am I stepping on? I wear my scuba diving boots when I I go in the ocean now. If I just go to the beach and walk in, I wear my scuba boots. Yeah. So <clears throat> the, the, the sharks were circling. Over the next four days, 
the men face threats from sharks, dehydration, injuries, illness due to ingesting salt water, and hypothermia. What had happened was uh, they were floating around. They had no water. I think the ingestion of seawater. Some of it was intentional. Brings delirium. Yes. Oh, when they were, when they were picked up finally, there were so many guys. So many guys were either on the verge of death. They were delirious. They were outside their mind. And, and, right. And part of it was because of the salt water. Now, they would, they, they needed water. And after a certain point, you just say, fuck it. And you drink some salt water. Sure. But what happens is the, the chemicals in your stomach react with the salt and the water. And it basically, you get ulcers in your stomach and they get infected. And you fucking die from the inside out. Plus, the salt water dehydrates you. So, so it's, it's a twofer. Yeah. You die, you go crazy, and you die. So how they were found was amazing. So uh, it was four days later when they finally realized, oh, this fucking ship should have been here a long time ago. And it wasn't. Uh, so on August 2nd, 1945, uh, hope appeared on the horizon. Lieutenant Wilbur Chuck Gwynn and his co-pilot, co-pilot, Lieutenant Warren Collin, in a PV-1 uh, Ventura, Gwynn immediately, when he saw the survivors there, he dropped a raft and a radio transmitter. Uh, and then all air to air and surface units capable of rescue operations were dispatched to the scene at once. Now, he flew over and saw him. He dropped this raft out. It did nothing because the raft got damaged when it hit the water. <laughs> That's awful. Yeah. We're here to save you guys. Whoops-a-daisy. So now these guys, they're floating around. They did have some food. They found... Uh, like their friend's legs? No, rations that were floating from the, the shipwreck, like crackers, uh, spam. But all that shit's going to make you thirsty and dehydrate you. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, the first to arrive was Lieutenant Commander Robert Adrian Marks in a, a PBY-2 Catalina, which is, is a seaplane. Uh, spotted survivors on a routine, during a routine patrol flight. So they were seen by someone else and then all this, this call went out, but this, this PBY-2 uh, was also on the patrol and, and ran across them. So there was a standing order for them not to land on the open ocean because the wake would make, could sink the plane. Like if you hit a big wave, you're done. These, these planes are really made to land in harbors and bays and calmer water. Uh, Marks made a courageous decision and he talked to his, his, his uh, crew and he said, uh, look, do we fly back and send people out or do we land and help them? And they basically said, look, I'm, we're not leaving them guys down and land right now. So they all decided to land. They landed. They picked up 50, 56 survivors. Uh, an aircraft landed in 12-foot swells, which could have easily <sighs> just taken that, that plane underwater. Uh, other rescue ships, including the USS Cecil J. Doyle, played a critical role in saving the remaining survivors. Uh, here's the thing. They couldn't fit 56 survivors inside that uh, plane. 
so that he was tying them with parachute cord to the wings so they wouldn't fall off. Like he just went, he wanted to get as many people out of the water as he could. So any survivors that he brought out that couldn't fit inside, he tied them to the wings so they, they wouldn't fall off. Really? Yeah. Nah, I don't know about that. Well, what else are you going to do? If they're sick, they're dying, they're <laughs> delirious, they're injured. You, so wait. You put them on the wing, they roll off back into the water. You got to rescue them again. So wait. Well, maybe I'm not asking the right questions. He tied them to the wing and then took off again? No. No, 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 no. Johnny, jump ahead. Well, he just tied them to the wing. So floated around till a ship appeared. Because of the 12-foot cells, he, he, he swells, he could never take off. So after the rescue effort unfolded, uh, they basically scuttled the plane. They one of the, one of the ships shot the plane and sunk it. After all, the survivors were off it. <clears throat> okay. Because he couldn't take off, they didn't want to leave the plane there for the Japanese to get. Okay. So, and it was damaged on 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 the the landing. So once they got all all the people that he he saved. His, and his crew saved off the plane onto these ships. They shot the plane down into the water, sunk it to the bottom. Well, you know what? I'd rather be tethered to a fucking ship that's floating than be treading water in the middle of the ocean. Right. He could have left them there treading water, but he wanted to get as many people out yeah. and, and safe as possible. He ended up getting a medal for it. Uh, and I think some of his crew did, or his crew did too. Uh, the, crazy. the rescue efforts, although they were heroic, did not erase the tragedy that had unfolded over the last four days. The USS Indianapolis left an indelible mark, not just in ending the war, but its incredible resilience and courage shown by those who survived. I, I encourage everybody to look on YouTube for uh, interviews for the survivors from the USS Indianapolis. Because, like, it's chilling. Yeah, for sure. So when they talked about the sharks chomping down on people, uh, the there's many schools of thought. Uh, they say that maybe a couple dozen got eaten by sharks, or it could be up to 150 eaten by sharks. Nobody actually knows how many were actually taken by sharks or how many died from exposure or injury or uh, dehydration. Uh, but if it's 10 taken by sharks, that's fucking horrible. And weren't, weren't they, like, covered in oil? Some of them were, yeah. Like, it, like the oil spill. And you're now all of a sudden floating around. So it had to be an oil-powered ship. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I got to look it up. You're right. Look, no, it, look, look it up on Google thing. real quick. USS Indianapolis oil power to coal power. Um, and I'll talk about. Yeah, by the way, that shit's called Trinitite. What's Trinitite? The rock. Oh, okay. Um, this this ship like changed the course of history and for its end to be a freaking submarine 
less than 20 days to the end of the war. That's crazy. It's crazy that that's the way it went down. Uh, it's got a very storied past. It exemplifies the strength and resilience of Navy vessels and the sailors who sail on them uh, that have played pivotal roles in shaping our world. Yeah, listen to this. This is fucking crazy. Today, 81 years after the attack, oil still leaks from the hull of the USS Arizona. Oh, yeah, I knew that. No, wait, that's not the same ship. No, that that one was down at Pearl Harbor. That, that's a good fact. <coughs> Goddamn uh, spell checker. <laughs> What you got? What you got? What you got? Indianapolis, oil or coal powered? Well, I know at Pearl Harbor, some of the sailors jumping in were burning, were jumping into oil, and the fires ended up getting them because the oil was all over them. Because the oil that they use in these ships is similar to the oil they use down at the steam plant. It's called six oil. Mm, yeah. And it's like gloopy. It's it's not like the oil you put in your freaking car. Right, right, right. It's gloopy and thick and nasty. It's just nasty. Coal-fired boiler. But I'm sure there's lots of oils lubricating the the uh gears and parts and whatnot. So uh yeah, well, well, the co-founder of Microsoft. No. Yeah, the co-founder of Microsoft. So the founder is Bill Gates. I don't know who the co-founder was. and Skip Johnson, I don't know. Uh, he has stake in or he runs a uh, some kind of research vessel that actually found this ship and uh, a couple other sunken U.S. ships that, that they thought were gone forever. Huh. But it was like 10 years ago that they finally found it, or eight years ago or something like that. So it's at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, it's like 14,000 feet down. Wow. Anyway, that's the, down. the USS Indianapolis. We took on that. And uh, you go take on a world. I got a lot of stuff to cut out of this one because we had dead silence there looking up whether it was fucking coal or oil. <laughs> So, go take on the world. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Hold on, stop. Welcome back to the Shit Show 2.0. Okay, Boomer. Damn millennials. Wow. <laughs> Did not know that. Even flirters who who are obviously mentally ill. You want to be my wife? Oh, this is gonna go downhill real quick. 